0: oh yes this is the hardcore marketing show i'm casey cheshire your host for this epic journey today's show is sponsored by ringmaster on a mission to launch b2b podcasts that create relationships generate revenue and drive growth ringmasterlive.com bam all right with a simple subtle click of a button i have begun this adventure And I really can't wait to get into this because the guest is just such a cool guy. And he describes himself as a marketing geek and a wannabe hockey player. But I can't just let that stand as the introduction because he is what? He's a serial entrepreneur, a marketing thought leader and speaker, a skilled manager. and He's also a recruiting magician, I might might add. He has more than 20 years of marketing and consulting in the staffing industry. And I will say lots of things going on, lots of... Places that are asking him to speak. He's got an MBA from Warden. What's going on? Co-host Secrets of Staffing Success, CEO, Co-CEO of Haley Marketing. David Cerns. welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Casey, glad to be here, boy. That uh, I think you make me sound too good.
0: Yeah, no, I know. That's how we start, right? So, is it all downhill from here? Is that? <laughs> That's right. So, dude, I'm so glad you're on here. I can't. I, I love the fact that you you have a focus, which is so important for marketers to pick an industry or pick a focus and you've done that which is such a daring and bolder move but it gives you this experience that you can really share with us so i want to just stop talking stop rambling casey and pass him the thing so here it is it's heavy but i know you got this ugh, ugh. okay here we go thor's hammer sir take that you got hey,
1: it. all right let us have it let oh. us have it handle okay it. we got it nice
0: take all thor's right. hammer smash for me some kind of marketing myth bogus strategy misconception set the record straight once and for all
1: all right so we're gonna take this hammer and we're gonna smash a myth that might take away my marketing pedigree Uh oh differentiation it's bullshit
0: boom damn differentiation is bullshit holy crap i'm trying to think of all the all the things that just shatters right now it isn't the whole idea to be different It, it Tell me what, tell me more about this.
1: So the reason I say that, and you know, every marketer in the world probably just tuned out right now, uh, is not that yet. They're intrigued right now. We're, <laughs> I've spent 25 years helping companies in a service industry, one vertical market, try to stand out, try to stay top of mind, try to sell more. And so often it comes down to their owners, their internal marketing people. Everybody's saying the same thing. It's our service, it's our people, it's our 457 years of combined experience. They make up crap that has little to no value. They say the same things. They don't even look at what their competitors are saying. They put phrases out there that are, are wonderful adjectives with no proof behind them. And they pick things that too often just don't matter to their customers, don't deliver measurable value. Things that don't actually matter to the customers. It's like they're tooting their own
0: horn, but they're playing the wrong music. No one's listening to that channel. And I, when I thought about you describing the different phrases, the BS phrases they come up with, the service, the 450 years of experience. I thought about you know the classic number one Chinese restaurant in insert city here. You know, a number one, number one, voted on by my mother. We are the best at this. Or you're, to your point, hey, it's. This is the easiest tool to use. Our our ease of use is, is easy, <laughs> you know. And it's like, oh, oh, is is it really? Can you even prove that? What are you saying?
1: Yes, I mean, for us, I, I started with service. Like we used to joke early on. Like one of the one of the first things we did, we started in 1996. And when we would do a marketing strategy for a company, we'd send out this paper workbook and said, fill in the blanks. And we joked around the office, like, don't ever lose the cover page, because if we lose the first page, we'll have no idea which client it is. It was so true. You'd read the book and like everybody was saying the same things. I'm in an industry where there's about 21,000 companies in the United States. Now, there there are differentiators among them. Some are big, some are small, some are themselves vertically focused. But then when you get down to their core top 10, 20, 50 competitors, they all look alike. They all sound alike, and especially if you're focused on
0: the recruiting space, and and you and you are focused on an industry, which is a great move. Yeah, I, that that makes it even easier for you to smell the bullshit. If I can't tell who you are from any of these pages, man, what an image though! You lose the cover page. you like, which one is this? Ah, I could be any of them, honestly. Yeah,
1: the the other one is is you know, in marketing land we're all now thinking about for years, how do we develop the right personas of our audience? Yeah. But when we're developing positioning, particularly small businesses, they try to be one size fits all. But your value proposition to audience one and audience two is probably very different. And companies that we deal with very often don't even think about differentiation as multi layered.
0: Multilayered. multi-layered. What, tell me more about that.
1: Yeah. So let me give you an example. Okay, we're in the recruiting world. So our clients are temporary staffing, executive recruiting firms. They sell to business owners. They sell to HR managers. Sometimes they sell to procurement. So if I'm selling to a procurement, that person is measured in their job by how much did they lower the cost of the services they buy. Right. They don't care about the best candidate coming in the door and how much that employee is going to raise productivity. They care. I paid $100,000 last year. My bonus depends on if I pay less than $100,000 this year, how do I don't make that happen? Right. Now, the owner, totally different perspective. The owner might say, I don't care what you charge because if you get me an A++ employee, I'm going to get a multiple on that employee's services that's absolutely worth the fee you're going to charge me. And then yeah. the HR manager somewhere in the middle. Sometimes they're real strategic. They get value. But sometimes they're, they're saying, you know what? I'm going to get yelled at by... Everybody in my organization, if I don't pick the right staffing partner. So I need to know you're going to get it right for me and make my life easier. Three audiences all in the same company gonna see the value of that staffing company completely differently. If I try to put a one-size-fits-all message on the homepage of my website, it probably resonates with no one. Got it. So I, I love that the it's like almost like a twofer, but they
0: connect so dramatically. People are saying bullshit and they're saying bullshit in one dimension, right? So it's like a one size fits all and it sucks. (laughs) So sadly true. So we need to go from there. We need to, we need to not, we need to make it in words that actually matter and then make sure the words that matter to that particular persona.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've got to be solving a problem for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big Don Miller fan and, you know, I love when he, in his, in his book uh, on story branding, you know, he talked about if you're a hundred million dollars or larger organization, your brand means something. But if you're a smaller company, brand is almost useless. You can't build a brand. You have to be known as solving a problem. And I see in our clients, a lot of times they're afraid to differentiate by choosing their problem they can solve. And the reason they're afraid is not that they don't want to solve a problem, but by saying, I'm really good at X, by default, you're saying, I'm not really good at Y. And people are so deathly afraid to give up a potential opportunity that they don't pick how they want to be positioned. And then you're not good at anything. No one can be good at everything. And they don't remember right.
0: And they don't remember you because you were that generic thing. Uh, so t- it takes courage, though, right? It, it takes something to say I'm good at X,
1: because it may mean I'm not the one for you if you're looking for Y. Yeah, I, when we get paid, when we teach people about marketing, we, I love to use the analogy of you know it's Thanksgiving and here comes the pumpkin pie, and they're going to cut you a slice. Now, assuming you're a pumpkin pie fan, you're going to fight for your life to make sure that's your slice of pie. The rest of the pie is for your family. You're not going to fight over that, but your slice you own. That's positioning. What slice of the pie do I want to own? And I'm going to fight like hell to keep it and keep everybody else away from it. But I have to be willing to give away the rest of the pie. And I see so often, not marketers, they get that. I see so often business owners, executives want to take the whole pie because they see there's opportunity out there, but not recognizing that by trying to be everything to everybody, the whole pie. You don't stand out.
0: Great analogy, man. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm partial to a little pumpkin pie now and then, especially around <laughs> the holidays, get a little spice in there and get that extra, whenever the magic they they throw in that, that just takes it from just being pumpkin pie to being like pumpkin pie, you know? I'm, I'm down, but your analogy stands for this because even though you think you want a second slice or a third slice, man, that that pie is heavy. <laughs> You probably, de- especially after a Thanksgiving dinner, you don't have room for two or three or four. You don't have room to eat the whole pie, but but you, you can right? like handle it. You can't- want the pie, right? Or sometimes people want that whole thing, but it's holding them back from getting even one slice.
1: Absolutely. Well, I mean, and I love that point, Casey, because when you when you try to go after multiple markets, you're going to dilute your marketing efforts. You're going to dilute your reach. You're going to dilute your message, and. How are you then going to effectively convince people they should want to talk to you? And that's why you see you know, people having to sell so hard. You know, I, I think I heard a great ad adage, and it's like it was about marketing. But marketing is the cost of having an undifferentiated product. So, the Snap. the bigger, that's a mic drop moment. Yeah, I, I would love to take credit for it. So I can I can only borrow things that I've heard. But you know, the the the, the bigger you make your product, what it does, and who it does it for. The more you're going to be having to fight in sales and marketing, and particularly selling. Like our clients, was mentioned, there's 21,000 of them, because they're not truly differentiating. Because what they say is bullshit, they've created a very high cost of selling. They've commoditized their business. They've hurt their pricing potential, all because of how they approached selling their services, differentiating their services.
0: Damn, that's depressing.
1: How do I fix me?
0: Me. Right. How do right, get
1: my pie. How I- let's, well, let, let's flip it. Like, and let yeah. you know, what really is different and what really matters. So, you know, fundamentally, some things I love to look at. If you're in a service business, what is your product? Let me give you an example. I'm in a marketing business. Most marketing businesses are sold as a service. It might be a retainer. It might be a some sort of project based fee. Our company, we said, people want to get support. They want a website. We're going to create three different website products. They want blog writing. Well, we're going to have a blog writing product, very defined service. We productized our services to make it so that they, we don't look like other marketing companies. Likewise, if you're in a product industry today, especially like everybody who survives makes a good product. But it's the service you wrap around it, whether it's the no frills level of service, that's my differentiation is we don't do things in our prices less, or it's we're really good at delivering some specific aspect of service. it's how we put service around a product that differentiates that product. Wow. Um, and, I, and I'm kind of like going through the the B school four piece of marketing, but the next thing is your pricing so I know when I talk to our clients about differentiating on price, the first thing they say is, we don't discount. It's like, I didn't say discount. Pricing doesn't mean you cut your prices, pricing means you change how people pay for what you do. So we did something selling a website several years ago. Um, we saw that maybe a website should be a service, not a discrete event. And I like a vacation. And so I, like to go to all-inclusive resorts. so we said, why don't we have an all-inclusive website? I love the fact that there's no extra charges at an all-inclusive resort. Why don't we do the same thing with a website? We'll roll in everything you want. We'll put everything into one package and there's a set monthly fee for it. Now, if you're a little company, you can buy a website that you never would have been able to afford on your own because we changed the pricing model. Right. I know some, somebody in executive recruiting that normally an executive recruiting fee is like 25% of the annual salary. And what they said is, we're going to do it over 24 months. So yeah, it's a big fee, but our payment terms make it so that smaller clients can afford it. So thinking about that, that whole, how do we price? Not just what do we charge? It's another way to create differentiation because usually you're going to get it and your competitors can copy it, but you're going to get that first mover advantage of we're the ones who offer innovative ways to buy things.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I love the the you know the immediate pushback. We don't discount like, ah, I don't wanna, I don't lose money on this deal. It's like no, think outside the box in a way that actually helps. You know, like the idea of that twenty five percent man uh, for for you know, recruiting fees can be pricey. It can be a barrier to entry, but instead you you're, you're going to be paying this over time. Because we might take us a while to find them. So, you know, we'll work with you over this period of time and you'll pay us over a period of time. And it seems like such a fair way of approaching it.
1: Yeah. And then and again, it's, it's, it's just thinking about how does my pricing model match how my customers want to buy? And in, in that case, that recruiting firm was trying to say, I want to appeal to a smaller buyer who can't write me a 20000 $25,000 check they can pay two grand a month. And if they're getting a rock star that they could never hire on their own, two grand a month doesn't seem so expensive anymore. Right. How, do, you know, the idea of you know, what's different, what matters. Uh,
0: is, there, is there a path you take to figure that out?
1: Do you just kind of finger in the wind and... No, not at all. So the, the acronym is MVV, but it's uh, Mission, Vision, Values. We don't start with what makes you different. What are your key differentiators? What's your value proposition? We start with, why did you start your company? I want to hear that founding story. Because usually there's an owner who had a mission. Maybe the mission was just, I want to make a lot of money. Not a great story. But very (laughs) often is they saw a problem in the industry that they thought they could solve. And that problem at, at its foundation is like, Helps define that differentiation. I'll also ask the question: Going forward, how do you want to change the world? What do you want to be known as being the best in the world at delivering? If you had a magic wand, and you were going to eliminate some problem for your clients. What problem is your company on a quest to eliminate? What's your holy grail? That'll help me understand their mission. That'll go to the vision. Now, tell me where your company's going. So I'm a, I'm a big Cameron Harold fan. I like his Vivid Vision book. And I like the fact that he doesn't try to take a vision too far into the future. He just looks three years out. So I want to I get a picture. Where are you going to be in three years? What's your company going to look like? Just like it does today? Are you going to grow? Where are you going to grow? And if you're going to grow somewhere new, why? Why are you changing what you do? I want to know where the what the future looks like. Because sometimes that vision of the future can be a really compelling story too. And that compelling vision of the future is like a magnet, particularly for attracting talent. And then I want to know their values. So, so I'll ask the owner, what do you stand for? What are the lines in the sand you won't cross? And you know, are they just some words on your website or do you live them in how you deliver your products and services? And if you, if you live them, how do you live them? that will teach me how their process is different. So I'll learn what they stand for. I'll learn where they're going and I'll learn how they operate from understanding mission, vision, values. And almost always that's where we find the best points of differentiation because we will not find an, another company that's exactly like that. That's the that's the cover page in that planning guide that really tells us who they are.
0: Interesting. I, you know, I, I even had someone ask me this the other day. They said, what's the difference between you and you know, my company and those other guys, you know? And it was a friend, so I, I could, but it was a friend who I guess potentially could be a, a you know client as well and and i gave him my answer but it's almost like my brain was trained to give him a pricing answer so one of the things i said was well you can get everything in their middle tier at our lower tier pricing or something like i immediately went to
1: i almost like immediately commoditized myself you know 100 percent. and i don't think i don't think that's unique i think that's common it is yeah how do you compare to xyz it's and We get defensive, assuming the question is, how can you cut your price? And and really, the person who's asking wants to know, like, I'm having a hard time comparing you to somebody else because when I look at your business. So, let me give you another analogy. The other one I mentioned the pumpkin pie analogy when we're teaching positioning, there's a second one we use, which is the cereal analogy. So, I will tell my team, I'll tell a client, I said, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think of a box of Cheerios. Now, if you grocery shop for your family, do you know where to find that box in your grocery store? Almost without looking. Do you know? And I say, what aisle is it in? David, it's in the cereal aisle. Yeah. And what color is the box? It's yellow, yellow. with black writing. Yeah. Did you know there's probably 50 kinds of Cheerios now and only one is yellow with black writing? But that's in our minds. We've they They've created that brand in our minds. And when somebody asks us, what makes you different, they're trying to figure out our Cheerios box, not just our price. Yeah. But we, we, we're we so trained, like, well, we, we look like all the other Cheerios boxes, so I've got to give it to you for less, or I've got to show you how we can be more, a greater value. And, you know, and even in this example, I mean, we everyone knows
0: Cheerios are going to be more expensive than like Happy O's or whatever uh, store brand they have. But those are never quite exactly like Cheerios with that sweet honey crisp flavor um, so yeah so we, ha- we have to make sure we don't step backwards generate whatever the word is to, to get defensive we have to not be defensive when asked about us versus them
1: yeah it's a commodity mon- mindset like yeah commodity when somebody says what makes you different you've got that commodity mindset oh I am like them and now I've got to show how we're different rather than almost saying I don't even understand how how you're putting us like them. Like we're completely different businesses. Here's what we stand for. Here's what we deliver because of what we stand for. Here's how we do it. But is that, I mean, is, now
0: does that matter? Does what we stand for matter then to it's the customer?
1: It's got to tie to the value. So I'll give you a, a great okay. story. We've got, I've got a client we're working with right now. When I went to their website, when I talked to them, I said, what makes you different? What makes you unique? And they said, we're all about, customer centricity. And I went, huh? It's oh, a big word. Yeah. I was like, I was like okay, um, what does that mean? And as I got to know them better, you know, there was a real strong value that comes from being close to the client. And what they were telling me was differentiation was more of how they ran their business. That customer centricity was a how. Didn't matter at all to the client. Yeah. I said- you guys used to be like your clients before you started this. This is a company that provides IT professionals. They said, you ran a company that did IT solutions. You hired IT people. You probably worked with IT staffing companies. Why did you start this business? And they said, because the process of working with IT staffing companies was pretty awful because everything about the industry was, was broken. They would send me tons of resumes, most of which didn't fit. They were just on how fast could I cram someone down your throat? So we decided that we really needed to focus on getting close to our clients. I said, okay. So the problem you're solving then is the service experience. and having resumes crammed down their throats. The client centricity is how you're doing it. So we're going to use that in your branding and your differentiation, but that's the follow-up. That's not what makes you different. What makes you different is the fact that you're changing how an industry works.
0: And I can see that second part resonating way more. Hey, we're, we're the we're the people that don't cram resumes down your throat. Is that how you'd phrase it? I'm a, would you go to that versus customer centricity, or is there a better way? So we're gonna we're
1: gonna go with uh, you know basically the entire staffing model is broken. Yeah, because it's an industry that is predicated on how fast can we deliver and how many can we send, because that's how. And almost every IT recruiter was trained. So our, this company's approach that is, we focus on what do you need today? What are you gonna need tomorrow? That's our client centricity model. Right. And then we measure not number of submissions. That's the measure used by our industry. We measure ourselves an NPS score. So we don't care how many submissions we make. If our NPS score, and there's is 74, which is ridiculously high, but if our NPS score blows away our competition, that means that people who work with us really like working with us. We don't care how many resumes we send to you. Which uh,
0: for anyone who's ever worked with a recruiting agency uh, will really appreciate because they think that showing you love is sending you a thousand resumes and you might think that sounds great until you realize now you have to follow up with all these people now they set you up with interviews and all yeah you don't it's like don't give me all of them give me the ones that you
1: think will really work absolutely so that's the i mean because we're like, going back to like that's where we always start is trying to figure out how to make differentiation not be bullshit by figuring out what is a company all about and how does that tie to the value they're delivering to their target audience. And again, if they've got three different audiences or five different audiences, what's the value for each audience? Because the messaging is not going to be the same.
0: Right. Right.
1: Wow. Man.
0: Uh, it's crazy. I, it it sounds like a lot of work, but it also sounds like not doing it is just a it's like not a disadvantage, but it's like it's so critical to get this right because it's such a simple question. Help me understand you versus them. But if you don't have an answer, I mean, they may even trying to justify going with you, but you got to have an answer that, that reassures them that you're the right call.
1: I think you know, the other thing that, that you're talking about, Casey, that makes a ton of sense is you need to have that. Here's what we stand for that's different, but that has to be backed up with the social proof, the reviews, the testimonials, the video reviews so that it's not us saying this. Mm. It's this is what our clients say about us because now you've got something you stand for and someone to corroborate it. Yeah. That trust is so essential. Whew. Well,
0: um I'm excited. I mean, I literally filled up my notes already. Normally by the end I fill them all up and uh, I'm already in the margins. <laughs> you were just a little bit in. Um, is there a first step? I know there's a lot of things we talk about NVV, different areas. Is there a, is there a step one? There,
1: there's a there's a step one A and a one B. Okay. Um, so the 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 one A, I'm going to steal from our client and, and say the customer centricity, but get closer to the people you want to serve know their business better than they know their own business. And, and I, I laugh at this because we had a guy who worked for us for a long time. And a, around his desk, when that once upon a time when we actually worked in our office, around his desk, he used to post articles. And I remember walking up to him one time and I said, Matt, what are these things you're posting around your cube? He goes, oh, they're articles we wrote. I'm like, why are you posting articles we wrote on your own desk? And he said every time a client doesn't know something about their business that we already wrote about, I post it on the wall. And he goes, it just amazes me that we know more about how our clients' businesses run than our own clients do. And his whole, all of his walls were covered with articles that his clients didn't know fundamental things about their own industry. But because we worked with so many people in industry, we knew things that each individual company didn't. So the closer you are to those clients, the easier it is to know how they work, what issues they're dealing with, help them anticipate problems. If I can anticipate their tomorrow problems, now I can think about my value proposition today in an entirely new way. If, you know, if I'm trying to service everybody, I can't know everybody's problem in every industry. And that's what we like about being vertically focused is we can know that much about what our clients do. So that was, that was the 1A, to get super close to your customers so that you can build your business around what they need. The one B, that goes back to that, the four Ps of marketing. Now I look at our own company. Is our product well-defined or do we take it for granted? Oh, I'm in marketing. So you're in marketing. So we do the same things. No, I can define the product completely differently. As I mentioned for our own company, we productize services. Product companies can add services around it. So think about that product. We talked about pricing. What's the model? Is it just Pay hourly, pay a retainer, pay half up front, half on delivery. Is it a fixed monthly recurring fee for a fixed set of services? What's the the pricing model? Pay over time. Um, Then, of course, the third P and the four Ps is place or distribution. And this is one I think I've learned late in life, the value of having really good partners. How can I be, you know, the best in the world is my product is an embedded solution in somebody else's product or service, right? I actually have um, a call on Monday, a big staffing organization. I can't get into too much details about what they're trying to do, but sure. they're actually saying, like, we want to make you our marketing department for all these new companies. Like, okay. Sorry, I don't have yeah. to sell anything to sell to all these new companies because we are now embedded in their growth strategy. Yeah. So thinking about distribution, like, how can I make myself, I mean, the other, classic examples of Microsoft. You know, if Microsoft hadn't gone to IBM and Bill Gates hadn't sold the DOS operating system, would we've ever have heard of Microsoft if they weren't embedded in the biggest computer hardware manufacturer? And then, you know, last one is promotion. And that's where your clients always wanna get started is what's, what's the exciting fun stuff. But if we can spend more time looking at our own business, thinking about our product, our pricing and our distribution, now the promotion becomes easy because you, you have differentiated yourself On your mission, vision, values, on your product, on your pricing strategy, on how you're going to distribute, it's so much easier to come up with winning promotion once that's all done.
0: Yeah. It's doing it the opposite direction that the knee jerk reaction is to go to promotion right away and offer some kind of cool prize. And it's like, no, no, no. You have so much homework to do before that. You have to hit 1A first. Yeah. I mean, the the people you want to serve.
1: Like, like how many lead gen companies hit you up this week on LinkedIn? Because everybody's just, oh, I'm just going to generate leads. Well, no, let's think about something that's not that hard to generate leads. That's kind of one of our claims to fame for our company is we haven't made an outbound sales call in 25 years. So we, we've grown a company with 60 plus people without ever having to call our clients to ask for business. Really?
0: Yeah. What, mostly it's referral sources and
1: instantly. Mostly it was really thinking about our clients' problems yep. and then producing content that helped them solve those problems. Mm-hmm. We started in 1996. We still do it today. Um, you know, what, what was sending out uh, letters and articles in an envelope, today is podcasts and webinars and tons of content marketing, but really hyper-focused on what matters to our clients. What matters to them. Yeah, right. that's, that, that's that customer-centricity because it, it resonates with them not only do they find value in it but it's instant trust right you're
0: speaking their language you're actually solving a problem gosh you know, i mean there's so much content out there but there's not so much content i mean people oh there's so much out there already yeah but a lot a lot of it most of it doesn't actually solve any anyone's problems
1: and dying from, to get some good content yeah and most of it is is thinly guised sales pitch yeah now I agree with you. The problem right now is there's so much too much content to consume, which again goes back to I have to be so focused, laser focused on a problem I know my client is trying to deal with right now. Then they'll still consume that content. If it's if it's nice to know, they don't have the time to read it. Don't have the time to watch it. Right. Man, one uh, a. Is that first
0: step, and sometimes the first step is the hardest, getting closer to the people you want to serve. Um, how do we do that? How do we get closer? How
1: do we get around them to pick their brains? So first thing is now, now I had a big advantage in our company. Um, not everybody can have this one. I grew up in the industry we serve. My mom and dad ran a staffing organization, so I was toilet trained on the industry. <laughs> gotcha. That helped. But if I didn't know anything about an industry, I'd start with their conferences, their trade publications. Before I talk to a client, I would go deep. What's going on in the industry? What are, let's, what's the agenda for the upcoming conferences? What are the topics? Because they put the agenda around the hot button issues. Who are the speakers? Because those are probably the industry thought leaders that I need to start following. What are they, what are they talking about? These are Maybe not the keynotes, but a lot of the breakout session speakers, those are the industry experts. Okay, yeah. So what, how do I learn about the industry from the people who are already in the industry? And then how do I start building relationships with those people? Let's connect on LinkedIn. Let's follow them. Let's read what they have to say. I mean, you just have to be thirsty for knowledge. Then once I start to speak the language, now I want to talk to the actual prospects and clients. Uh, you know, I mentioned to you before we went on air that I've had three conferences in the last three weeks. Yeah, um, And so I was happy to be a speaker at the conference, but at the same time, while I'm there, I sit and I watch the other speakers. Mm. I, you know, And when and my team, when we go with three or four more people to a conference, I'm like, guys, don't sit together. Go sit with people who are in the industry and talk to them. Listen to what they're talking about. Because when they're not talking about their family and fun stuff on the weekends, they're talking about their business problems because that's why they went to the conference. You will learn so much from just embedding yourself inside the industry. So that's that's where I get started. I love that. And then, I mean, I know you got a podcast too,
0: so that's a great way as well to build relationships and discover and all that.
1: Yeah, that was a. I would say that was an accidental success. And so <laughs> I, one day I I need to write a book on on accidental successes because like almost every marketing failure we had over the years, we have found a way to to pivot it into it a success. But our podcast was something that. I didn't see any value because we had been doing so much content marketing. And one of our guys was a uh, an, hi, excuse me a co- college DJ. And He clearly missed his DJing day. So he wanted to get back on air and start a podcast for us. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Really? One more channel? Was his name Jazzy Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> what if it was? <laughs> but he did and he built an audience and, and the brilliance of what he he did is he's, he did sort of what you're doing here. So we're going to go to people in our industry. We're going to interview them and try to find people who've had unusual success stories and sort of dissect how were they successful. Right. Not only does inviting guests on the show, it's great branding for us to have those guests on our show and also to meet them, but listening to them spend 30 minutes to an hour talking about how they did it and how they're addressing problems. It's like, wow, I just learned everything I need to know about my industry just by interviewing people yeah yeah and you know it's great too because
0: it you build these relationships and these connections with people because you have that focused time you know we don't we wouldn't have this time at a conference right people are chi- chiming in joining in the conference you know and it's sort of a flexible networking situation usually anyways but this sort of focused one-on-one time to really hear someone's words and in, th- in this case learn from them uh is just
1: priceless in my opinion i yeah i can't couldn't agree, couldn't agree more love doing it and for those of you who are like me, I got into marketing because I'm terrible at sales and I'm not a good networker. <laughs> but to go to events and just listen, you pull in so much, and then pretty soon you're leading the conversations because you've been to more than they have been. You've listened better.
0: Yeah, and some you're yeah, right. Sometimes the best networkers are actually the ones that listen better, not the ones slinging cards out like a I don't know, like they're shooting cards out like a machine. Like oh, nice to meet you. Bye. They're like, okay, I didn't meet you at all. I'm not gonna remember that call that card tomorrow. Um, sometimes my favorite networking is just. You know, when you just hang out with one person at a conference, not the entire time, but, you know, you'd be like, hey, you know what, I don't need 30 people. I'd like to make one solid connection, you know, and you're not worried about the metrics.
1: Yeah. Another another surprising place at conferences that I think even the conference attendees often underuse is the people who are vendors because every person who's paying to have their little booth there deals with multiple people in that industry. So they have a perspective on industry issues related to the product they sell. That's really unique, but has lots of diversity of input. So you can get so much from networking with the vendors. Plus they'll all be in the bars willing to talk. So you can get so much yeah, out of the relationships sure. with them. And sometimes it's the ones
0: that close the bar down at two or three that you bond with for life. <laughs> um, <laughs> So good, man. Well, you you mentioned you know challenges earlier. What kind of challenges do you struggle with? Obviously, you've got some killer branding, and you've got some great differentiation because we know what that actually is now. And I can't imagine uh, how how powerful yours is. What what kind of things do you still find as challenges
1: yourself and your in your team? Yeah. Well, um, I'll I'll skip the HR management challenges, but it's great resignation, <laughs> I'm done with. Um, right. But but it's been that has been a challenge, but. I think that is more unique to the last 12 to 18 months than it's ever been in our past. Yeah, perfect. I'll give you one case again. It sort of goes with the, the title of today's presentation. So when we came into the in our industry, we were unknown and there were two bigger companies that were pretty well known. We took our unique approach of really focusing on content, really focusing on a mission of, of focusing on a specific sub-segment of the staffing industry. And it worked. Those two companies are gone from the industry. We really built our brand around our our knowledge and our focus only on staffing and our desire to level the playing field to small to mid-sized clients. Because we were successful, now new entrants coming in copy our positioning. Mm. And more times than not, it blows up on them. But sometimes you get someone who's really good. And I think one of the challenges is when they're really good and they're really vocal. And sometimes in one case, they have a big budget. You sustain where you are because you've been doing it for 25 years and they're the shiny new company. That's a challenge is how do you keep refreshing yourself without diluting your brand, diluting your differentiation, but refreshing yourself. That's, that's a challenge we're trying to deal with right now. So true, man. I've
0: I've experienced that where you, for good reasons find yourself at a very strong position in the marketplace. But then of you know, if you're succeeding, there's other people trying to they're em they'll emulate you. You'll they'll even get coffee with you to f- find out. They the copied taglines, they've copied yeah. our
1: taglines. They've they've taken direct messages off of our website. Um yeah, you name it. We've seen, we have one one company they didn't last very long. They literally copied all of the copy off of our website to launch their own <laughs> And then they do that. I mean, and that's the crazy thing is that these new
0: entrants, sometimes they're quality people and they're learning from the best your team. And then you have the sketchy ones that, and when they use yours and then they don't follow through on it, it kind of dilutes yours too, right? Absolutely, yours a negative. Like, oh, I've worked
1: with the company with your approach before, and they were absolute idiots. Yeah, because and, and you know, you're still introducing yourself even after 25 years. We're introducing ourselves to new people. Yeah. So we've, still got to, we've got to still focus on building credibility like it was day one and never resting on our laurels because you're exactly right. Um, they may say, well, I work with someone like this before. It's like, well, we have to really demonstrate. No, you've never seen anyone quite like us.
0: Yeah. We're, the, being the new old one. Yeah.
1: yeah. Without, without the tacky new and improved brand on our website. Right. Or
0: <laughs> under new, new management, uh, new new management. That's new right. location. <laughs> this uh, the furniture store is having a going out of business sale. They're not actually going out of business. We just have a sale for you. Um, it's a whole different marketing strategy. Yeah. Slash and burn, though. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I, the, even the concept of refreshing. I think if we were to do another one of these things, you know, hang out again in a, in a couple months, you know, check back in, I'd I love to just sort of explore that topic of refreshing all of this because it, you all all the work you've just described you go through this you kind of want to just let it ride right you want to just yeah. look i already did that can i please now just focus on promotion and it's like yes until you can't
1: it's absolutely and related to that is like as you grow you know a lot of companies are built around the persona of the owner yeah and so that's great when you're small but as you grow it's not sustainable and yeah. so now having to develop other people who can be in your roles now i know some companies can get really big you know look at elon musk okay you know tesla is elon yes so i some people can can carry that off i i can't he literally so designs parts of the car the most yeah. important parts yeah but for, i think most of us like in particularly in the marketing world you know we have to look at is is there a brand of personality that our business is associated with, or does the business itself have to have a personality with key people leading the charge? Yeah, um, That's a tough one to figure out. And, and we've struggled with it because we're trying to, to get more people to be visible for the organization and actually make that part of our differences. You know, we're not one person you see online. We're a team of people who are, who are thought leaders in different subspecialties around what yeah. we do, but it's not been easy to get there. And we've got a couple guys who are doing it really successfully. And when it works, it's great. And it takes a, it takes an owner or a founder, it takes a leader to be
0: able to know that them being in the spotlight is maybe for a time you were leading, but now you you actually need your team to do it because like you're saying, like you don't want to actually be permanently attached to that later on valuations, it will will deduct for that yep. if you're a critical part of the machine on the strategic side, on the sales side, whatever the case may be. It starts out as a strength, but it, it turns into eventually a weakness and it holds you back and I you know i've I've seen this with the podcasting too where you know maybe you have a show I, I've had a company where I had a show cool, cool had a show but then the real turn was when I launched shows for my team and they weren't they weren't a duplicate of mine. I still had my my playground to play in, but they had areas that they were way better than me at and they played in those playgrounds, right and and that attracted its own unique crowd of our personas like we talked about at the very beginning to that particular segment so yeah it, it it's it's
1: so interesting to to make those shifts it's really exciting when you can succeed in helping them develop and they start to develop their brand and they develop a following agree um, but it's it's hard to get there and then that you mentioned it like the owner has usually a different level of dedication and commitment to making it happen than somebody who may just be a team leader or a product leader in your organization um, you have to find a way to get them that excitement so that they you know, they live it, breathe it just like an owner does. Right,
0: right. That, that sense of ownership in um, the future results, 100%. 100%. Um, quick question for you. You already mentioned a couple of books here, but I, anything you're reading right now that's kind of got your, got your attention, anything you recommend that we all check out? Uh, maybe you've read in the past.
1: Yeah, well, uh, a couple of my favorites. I mentioned Don Miller. I did, you know, did the story brand, just did his uh, Marketing Made Simple, which is a really nice playbook. Uh, I've actually got a number of our team members reading that one right now because it's kind of just, it's really tactical and how to think through a lot of the ways to execute a good marketing strategy. I'm a huge fan of Marcus Sheridan and his book, uh, You ask, They Ask, You Answer. I said that backwards. They Ask, You Answer. It's an awesome book on how he became number one in the world for people looking for in-ground pools and how he actually made this huge transition from being a pool sales guy to being a top marketing consultant, um, wow. but just it's so much common sense. And then you read it, and you're like, your mind's blown. It's like this is so easy. And then you look at everyone, like, why isn't everyone doing this? And they don't. And it's a great book. Uh, I also a big fan of anything Dan Kennedy has written. He writes the No BS series of books. So I just reread one on on No BS Social Media Marketing um, because I was trying to, to look at some trends in social and where I see our internal team going and. I figured if anybody could cut through the BS, it was Dan, uh, who's a self-proclaimed hater of social media. But he wrote a really good book with a co-author on it. But he's got everything on direct response marketing, right? And then the one—the guy who got me started in marketing is Seth Godin. And you know, going way, way back, you know, permission marketing was the first aha book to me. And it's interesting because the industry now seems to have gotten so far away from that concept of getting permission to market. But that was really how we went 25 years without making a sales call. Right. Wow, I feel like I just uh,
0: my my bookshelf has just grown, and and for my team as well, the idea of getting these in front of the team, um, even creating a, a book section for our team, these are fantastic, man. Thank you for that. There are some books in some people's futures. <laughs> They're about. Maybe, to I, I almost forgot. Yeah.
1: I almost forgot one that's a little lesser known. Yeah, uh, a guy named Sean DeSosin. He wrote a book called The Brain Audit um it's more of the psychology of how people buy and react but don't don't let me throw you off he he's got this great writing style that's totally conversational he's a cartoonist so it's really fun to read oh i love that oh
0: what a great list man my next question really is like who are you who are you you i've i've literally i'm running i have no paper left and great book recommendations um all this good stuff. Take me back in time. Did you know that you were going to be a marketing czar uh, at an early age, and, and an entrepreneur, and all these
1: things? Think, bud. I'm. I when I said marketing geek, focus on the word geek. I was the nerdy kid growing up. Um, I got. I I got into computers in high school, which a lot of kids did, but for me, that was in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, when I went to college, I wanted to have a, a major in computer information systems there were two two schools offering it it made it really easy to choose where to go to school i didn't get into one i got into the other i know where i'm going to college there you go it was uh, the national news came in because we were the first school in the country where every incoming freshman got a new pc a zenith 100 i'm sure all of you had one of those oh crap um, well let's see no hard drive and uh, 10 mega of ram it was a killer machine. But somehow there were drinking games written for it within three days of them coming out of the boxes. It was amazing. <laughs> of um, course. Then, what was it called? A Zenith what? A Zenith one a Z100. It was like 1983. Zenith 100.
0: Oh, I see a picture of it. Okay. with the, You had the two discs. It was like an Apple IIe.
1: You got the yeah. two discs. had uh, the green screen. You had a floppy drive. five hundred quarter floppy drive. We had one. Yeah. Oh, you only had one floppy drive? Yeah, you know, it was, what are they going to give
0: different? Oh, I see that model. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad because when you had two, I had two, so you could copy from one disk to another, which was way more mechanical than people think of it these days. But you would hear it grind, like, we're copying from one side to another. Wow. Okay. So, you, you and the Z100 just- Yeah. So,
1: my, my degree was, undergraduate degree was in information systems. Yeah. And uh, I went to work in the IT department of a, a large bank for a couple of years. Went off to get my MBA. That was in entrepreneurial management. Still had no thoughts about marketing. I literally had taken a couple of marketing courses, undergrad, and one in, in graduate school. And then as soon as they hand you your MBA in small print, it says, you know, everything. <laughs> and so I, I started a software company with my wife and one other guy. And I quickly learned that I, I didn't know jack shit. Oh, I was right. like, I, gotcha. and particularly, I didn't know sales and marketing. Hmm. And so I spent two years getting very, very hard, painful lessons in everything you could possibly do wrong in launching a company. And we actually folded up for about two years. And I happened to hear a guy named Jim Cecil. And Jim Cecil taught something called nurture marketing. He he passed away not too long ago, but he's sort of the, the grandfather of this thing called nurture marketing. And it was a really simple premise. People don't want to be sold. They want to buy. You want to position yourself as an expert. And the best way to do that is to nurture relationships by sharing high-value content. That was Jim. Today, we call it content marketing. He called it nurture marketing. And it still is I, nurturing. I mean, yeah. I fell in love with the yeah. concept. And we were part of the what is today Vistage, what back then was yeah. called tech in my parents' business. They brought Jim Cecil to Western New York, where I'm from. <sighs> And got to hear a full eight-hour seminar by Jim on how to do nurture marketing. My mind's blown. He then said, we're going to implement this in our staffing company. And my mom says, David, can you come sit in the meeting because I'm going to lead the discussion. And I guess it's because of my mom. I didn't. I wasn't afraid of being a pain in the ass in the meeting because I just kept asking questions. And like a half an hour in, she takes the, the dry erase marker and throws it at me. And she goes, you know, you want to ask us questions. Why don't you just lead the meeting? I pivoted. We closed the software company. I took over marketing in their staffing business. Over the next five years, our team doubled the size of their company. And about halfway through that, in 1996, that's when we just said, "You know, we've, we're kind of onto something here. Um, let's let's spin off what we're doing." The Jim Cecil Nurture Marketing yeah. and do it as a company, and that became Haley Marketing.
0: Oh, so cool, man! I so and you know sometimes we we th- people think that the the success is. We learned, Well, you learn, you learn to be confused normally with the successes, right? Because you're like, yeah. it's working. I think it was thanks to these new things. But man, when you fail, that's the learning lesson, right? And, and so your lesson early was, man, I got to learn the sales and marketing thing. And then you just took that and you proved it with the staffing model. And then you're like, let's scale this to other companies too. What well,
1: I also learned because I had to make 75 cold calls a day when we had that little software company. I'm like, I never, ever, ever want to do this again. I better figure out marketing. Right.
0: <laughs> and that's good training, right? Yeah, I always recommend people early in their careers just get some kind of hardcore sales training and just so they realize, one, you may love it if you do. Now you found your career. But if you if you don't, then now you know what you're trying to avoid. So go learn something yeah, I,
1: else. I think it sales should be a required part of the marketing curriculum. And it, it bothers me that in college, we don't even talk about it. Right, it's not at all mentioned, and I think you learn so much about understanding consumer behavior from selling, uh, way more than you do just from being a marketer. Hundred percent, it, it's it's tangible, especially if it's in
0: person. Then I mean, I, I sold tuxedos back in the day uh, for fun and for some cash, and it was it was rough. <laughs> it was rough, but man, did you learn that the guy with the ball, the the baseball hat on, was like going to be a great target, and you learned all these different things and don't spend time here and there. Man, you're right. You absolutely learn so much from that. It's it's important to integrate the sales part to the marketing part. Mm-hmm. Um and that brings you up to present day. So Heli Marketing. So you're working with, and so if people were listening, your your vertical is what service and staffing?
1: Yeah, staffing and and recruiting is where we where we focus. So God. companies that provide temporary help, attempt to hire, direct hire and then executive recruiters. Um, mostly North America, although we do have some clients all around the world. And then our, our real sub niche market is the small to mid sized business. Most of our direct competitors, they want to work with companies that have big budgets, a hundred thousand and up they want to work with. We work mostly with companies with very small budgets. It had to teach us to operate very differently. Mm. Um, but whereas an average marketing company may have 20, 30, 40 clients they're servicing each month, we have a thousand companies we bill a month
0: smaller budget but man and they got to be efficient with it and every dollar counts
1: yeah it's a lot every harder. dollar counts yeah
0: and you're you are called out on it yeah but in the end it doesn't even that sounds like the marketing spend isn't really the thing like we've learned it's the positioning it's and then it's that nurture marketing it's 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 giving that considered content that you're actually solving a problem with
1: yeah and it's being trusted because we're we're not dealing yeah. with in, in our business, we're not dealing with people who, I have a marketing budget, it's X, now help me figure out the strategy to execute. We're we're going in and, and usually showing people, here's what you need to do to, be, to, to implement marketing or recruitment marketing in your business, because either it doesn't exist, or the harder one is you're doing it, but you're actually doing it completely wrong. Yeah, man, so good. Well, I have a bit of a hypothetical question for
0: you now. Because see, I, I may or may not have a time machine here in New Hampshire. Um, and so you come visit, you know, get yourself out here, you come visit Boston or whatnot. And um, you come, come up, drive up north to New Hampshire, get some lobster, some beer. You get a chance to use this time machine. It's in my backyard. Now, let's be honest. It's just back there. And, and it's a particular kind of time machine that goes back in time to where you meet yourself a couple of days after that undergrad. And bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you get to meet yourself. You get to chat, and n- no worries about the space-time continuum. I will, pr- I will keep it all the same. Uh, but you get to talk to yourself. What kind of advice would you give yourself?
1: Don't put that crappy goop in your hair. It's going to make your hair fall out. <laughs> no gel, right? No gel. No gel. <laughs> now, uh, if I had to go back, the uh, the first advice I would be would be take more risks, and and not crazy risks, but uh my nature has been to be overly conservative um kind of had a lack of self-confidence see i still do but particularly when i was younger and it held me back from doing things that would have made a big impact if i had just said yeah take the next step and take the risk push yourself get out of your comfort zone a little more and you will do amazing things have a little confidence in yourself and even if it doesn't go amazingly well you will learn so much faster from what doesn't go amazingly well than just having little positive incremental steps the whole, whole way. Take that next step. Man, and take more I, risks. I love that. And my, and my next one is something that I probably could have done way better, which is build a stronger network. I was kind of always a go-it-alone person and high school, college, projects. A lot of people love to have me on the team because I would do all the work to make sure we got an A. I wasn't taking any risks. And I didn't care what anybody else did because I was going to take it at the end and redo it if I had to to make sure we were getting an A. But at the same time, I didn't understand really the value of having that strong network. I didn't see what it can do. And related to that, one you can also relate to is I would have joined EO a hell of a lot earlier. Four years into EO. I wish I had known about EO 20 years ago because it would have made such an impact on building that network and realizing there's so many other people who've already had the problems I'm having and can shorten my learning curve instead of having others go through the school of hard knocks and everything.
0: Yeah. One of, uh, one of our fellow EOs. do you know him, Dan Ryan? I do not. Okay, I'll have to introduce you to him afterward. He, he likes to use the phrase, uh, he, his mission in life is to shorten people's journeys and, and get them from A to B a little bit faster by maybe a tip or a connection or an introduction. Um, Man, what a great point! Yeah, EO is just an, a magic network for entrepreneurs. So, with that, I I almost was gonna let you go, but then Uh-oh. I reminded myself that we got to talk about hockey. You got into hockey. How how old
1: were you? Tell me, tell me this. Forty three. I started to play 43. ice hockey. Yeah, like a lot of people, you you watch your kids doing something. My daughter, um, I remember vividly. My daughter was exceptionally shy and she comes home one day and said, mom, dad, I found my sport. Really? Wow. What, what? She's like, I want to play hockey. Like (laughs) you want to do what you want to go play this like really physical, get in your face, intense game. How old was she at the time when she said that? She was 10, 10. So she, she took it up. I mean, she had had a great hockey career ended up becoming a, pretty accomplished travel player, uh, even though starting very late, worked her butt off to get good at it. But watching her after a couple years, I'm like, I had skated, you know, I played street hockey as a kid. It like, looks like so much fun. And there's locally, because I'm in upstate New York, they have a really nice learn to play program. My wife goes, you got to go. I'm like, ah, I'm too old. I'm, you know, what She's like, just do it. So I did. And now I'm in my uh, 13th season with my team. Jeez. And it's a blast. And what's even a bigger blast is now my daughter plays on my beer league team. Does she really? Yeah, we we, we were playing in a little plug. you never heard of something called the 11 Day Power Play. It's a fundraiser for Roswell Park Cancer Institute. And uh, we are playing um, a week from Monday. We have a uh, three hour shift. The original guys who did it, they're like 40 guys. They played for 11 days straight, 24 hours a day, 11 days of hockey to raise money for this hospital uh that does cancer research and now it's taken on a life of its own they just announced yesterday they've hit a cumulative eight million dollars in funds raised for Roswell Park man so this is first year that I get to play and it's um it's my daughter had a friend and now uh, we'll be playing together on a three-hour shift in the 11-day power play so excited for it
0: oh man that's gonna be so much fun and what a great cause we'll we'll definitely get some links from you afterward put them in the show notes people can kind of click through find out more maybe you know a little donation or whatnot but man that's a lot of hockey three hours I, that's I, a lot I of hockey would, I, we'll see how they come out of that one <laughs> you're gonna want to uh book yourself where some plays with a hot tub after that i think <laughs> wait what do you play what position
1: forward i'm i'm the world's most pathetic defensive player but yeah. uh for an old guy i've got decent speed as long as it's mostly in one direction right can you, can you skate backwards I can skate backwards, but and, and, and the, the league we play in has you know, very, very good players at the top, and then our team's near the bottom. So on my team, I, I'm just fine and, and I'm, I'm quick, fast. And it, when I'm going forward, uh, side to side, there's always guys who can beat me, and the defensemen, they, they're the ones who can skate backwards fast. Yeah, not only backwards, but then adjusting to whatever you're
0: doing all in reverse is just it's kind of magic watching them do it. Uh,
1: it's so fun
0: yeah i i feel like i'm a toddler if i'm if i'm skating backwards uh but yeah give me forward you know forward progress anytime
1: <laughs> man
0: but that is so cool that she's able to join you on that too um you
1: guys can do that together yeah it's definitely a highlight i mean i, I was able to talk to the league and get her get her to play on our team when i when she was sit 17 um and we you know whenever she's in town uh, she just comes and plays with the guys and She's a way better skater than any of us, so they love when she comes and plays.
0: I'm sure. Hey, every team needs a couple of ringers. You need it. You need them in there, so it gives you a fighting chance with that with that tough team. Uh, man, well, this has been great. Where can people connect with you? They want to talk marketing, talk strategy, whatever. Just connect, maybe fellow EOers. What's a good? Yeah, I,
1: I'm. You know, I'm easy to find. Um, but uh, the easiest would be to go to hillymarketing.com. You can connect with me there. You go to LinkedIn, David Cerns. Um, or just send me an email, dCerns at haleymarketing.com, because I'm one of those people who, despite reading lots of good things about how you should not be addicted to your email, yeah, I'm, it's total crack for me. And well, email is what makes
0: the world. It's like it's like the blood, you know. That's what we need. Email makes the world go around. So awesome. We'll we'll put that, we'll put links. And I know you have got the ebook as well. And if you want to give a shout out to that one.
1: Yeah, so um, part of producing content is we uh, we write lots of stuff. So it's a relatively short ebook, but its differentiation is bullshit. And uh, you can find it in the ebook section of haleymarketing.com. Or if you want some of our, our latest, greatest content, you can go to haleymarketing.com forward slash brain fuel. Brain fuel, I love that. We'll, pu-
0: we'll put a link in there. And man, I'm seeing a bunch of great guides in here. Uh, there's a smart marketing checklist, man smart recruiting checklist we all need to. that's another
1: show right yeah the smart recruiting checklist is really with 194 questions to evaluate how your recruitment marketing is working that one's really good oh man and recruiting is a thing as well there's already like
0: two or three additional episodes we're gonna have to have you come back on (laughs) to just address all these other topics man but thank you so much for coming on here i've literally learned so much from you and i can't wait to put these things to work um, and, and really work on my own positioning.
1: Well, thanks Casey. It's been a blast and, uh, we'll hand your hammer back.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, you can keep that until the next show, but actually I wanted to, uh, also talk to those listening. So, it, so if you're listening to this and you learn something and I freaking know you did, because I literally have two pages of notes front and back. I was not even kidding. Look, I, I do not even have room, um, in this, but if you've learned like I have, then share this episode with someone else that is thought leadership you don't even need to have created it you've curated you've heard this show you've heard David just preach these these amazing points about personas and and positioning and just that differentiation don't ever fall into that bullshit funnel again of service people and number one (laughs) number one best right really find out what matters um so good David thanks again man thanks Casey All right, everybody, this has been another exciting episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will catch you all next time.